Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. I'm Evan Eichen, he's Cody Clark. Cody, the last time we met, we made our Super Bowl predictions. The Kansas City Chiefs are now Super Bowl champions. They won the game 31-20, to Mahomes was the MVP. Uh, what was your big takeaway from that Super Bowl game? Uh, my biggest takeaway is the fact that pretty much whenever I pick a game, the exact opposite happens. So um, <laughs> besides that, I mean, the biggest takeaway is is Patrick Mahomes and the way that he played in that fourth quarter. Uh, you know, all the all the questions surrounding would he be able to live up to the moment, all the questions surrounding, hey, will Kansas City be able to stop? Uh, will Kansas City be able to stop the running attack of the 49ers? And, you know, all those things aside, it came down to the best quarterback in the game at this juncture, making plays late in the game to win the game for the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, the biggest takeaway for me was the performance for Patrick Mahomes. You know, his ability to to stay calm under pressure, he did not look good early in that game. It was a lot of sputtering, a lot of stop and start. He just wasn't in a rhythm, but I thought when they picked up the tempo, uh, he was making some easier throws out wide, a couple of throws underneath, but they went with a little bit of no huddle, hurry up type offense. He completed some throws and he really got locked in. And I was watching the game and as that was happening, you're going, okay, well, it might be game over for San Francisco because they're down 20 to 10, but they just scored a touchdown. Mahomes is starting to... He's in a nice rhythm. He's starting to pick apart the defense a little bit. That opens up some things over the top. So my biggest takeaway and the biggest thing I was impressed with was just Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City's ability, again, to bounce back in the fourth quarter, to stay calm under pressure. And, you know, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy able to get Mahomes going on a night where really before the fourth quarter, it was it was a lot of a, of a mixed bag, but there was – you know, there was no there was no denying his greatness in that fourth quarter. And hey, uh, he brought Kansas City back and they're able to uh, be crowned Super Bowl champs at the end of that game. It was like, of course, it's obvious that they're going to score 21 points in six minutes and pull the <laughs> right. and, and pull out the Super Bowl we, like we haven't been watching this all playoffs. Like there aren't that many teams where you're down 10 halfway through the fourth quarter and like, yeah, they're good. Th- th- they'll figure it out. Uh, the. Kansas City Chiefs won the game 31 to 20. It was really 24 to 20, but then Damian Williams broke off that long run, and I thought he was going to do like the usual thing when the game's over, which is get to like the 5-yard line and then either just and just either just fall down or just walk out of bounds. I was surprised he scored the touchdown there. Yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised by it, but you you know, you you break the run like that and and you you'll take the points there. I mean, I agree with you. You know, I thought we might get a is he going to slide down at the 5, you know, keep the clock going that kind of thing, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, he was able to uh, you know, the points were the most important part there, so he just went ahead and scored. So, I I agree with you. I was like, "Oh, I wonder if you know, he broke off the run and he's He's at the 40, and I'm like, ooh, maybe he's going to slide down here. But he just took it in, and hey, I mean, you know, at that point, you'll take the points for sure. So could have gone either way there, but definitely he was like, hey, I broke this run. I'm getting into the end zone. What was your favorite commercial? And the correct answer is Bill Murray Groundhog Day. Uh, That is – I wasn't very impressed with commercials. I did like that one. Um, But other than that, I I don't know. I just – 
I don't know why, but this this bunch of them didn't uh, didn't do much for me, I guess. The Bill Murray Groundhog Day commercial was the best commercial, and the story behind getting him to even do it was even crazier because Bill Murray famously does not have an agent. He just leaves a one hundred a one eight hundred number. You call it, and he'll call you back if he's interested. And they didn't know if they were going to do the show. They were going to do the commercial two weeks before the Super Bowl. Then they just filmed it. Like, there's actually a really interesting article about how that ad came to be and how and how close it was to not happening. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, how about Patrick Mahomes calling his shot on Twitter saying, it must feel great to uh, be the Super Bowl winning quarterback and say I'm going to Disney World. And then he went and did it. Right. Calling, calling his shot on Twitter. So does this officially make Kansas City the team of, like, I know we're, like, not, we're barely even a month into the decade, but is this the start of something for Kansas City, or is this going to be a one-off deal? No, I don't think it's going to be a one-off deal, but you and I have talked about it before, you know, when when Mahomes is about to make $40 million, $40 million here, it will be interesting to see what Kansas City puts around him but it's definitely one of those things where you know that th- this Kansas City team because they have Patrick Mahomes they're going to be on they're going to be on this stage or contending uh in in the NFL for for a long long time with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback so you know I, I don't I don't believe this is a one-off but it is going to be something that's interesting to watch to see how Kansas City puts together the team when you're when you're when your quarterback is making that kind of money. I think they'll be fine. Their front office is usually very good at finding guys, uh, and they have a lot of younger guys as well. So I do believe that we're going to see this team around for a long time. You know, maybe it's not something where you get into the Super Bowl every single year, but it's they're going to be contending for quite a while. And with the way the rest of that division looks, I have no reason to believe that they won't. Uh, the Raiders are moving to Las Vegas, and there's they're non-committal I, I feel like I'm I feel comfortable enough to say that they're non-committal on Derek Carr uh the the San Diego I, I I'm sorry I keep saying San Diego the Los Angeles Chargers all signs are pointing to moving on from Philip Rivers and starting over and the Denver Broncos we kind of gotta look at Drew Locke but not really so we don't know what they have in Drew Locke this could be Kansas City's division for the next three years three to four years at at least well absolutely because they're you know they're settled at that star quarterback position and those other teams are still trying to figure that out so most definitely they are the class of that division uh here over the next handful of years and they 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 might be the class of the afc for the next uh next few years as well they might be i mean all signs are pointing in that direction uh, although Lamar Jackson might have something to say about it once the Ravens get a little bit more around him. Moving on, we're going to get to the NBA trade deadline, trade deadline and All-Star game stuff in a moment. But first, the news of this broke earlier in the week. Um, Cody, can you find a way to rationalize and defend this Mookie Betts trade? Because I'm I'm struggling to find a reason for why Boston had to do this deal right now. Uh, well, I'm right there with you. I mean, you're trading away an MVP and when you're trading away an MVP, you're not going to get, uh, probably anywhere close to equal value back. But you look at where Boston, you have to look at where Boston is from a payroll perspective. And, you know, a lot of things that I've read, you know, I don't think ownership was 
was very, very keen on continuing to pay the luxury tax. So this was a team, and they have a new general manager as well in Kyle Bloom from the Rays. And so this is a team that's trying to figure out where they're at because you already have a very bloated payroll with guys like David Price, with guys like J.D. Martinez, uh, with guys like Mookie Betts now. And you've locked up Ben Attendi. You've locked up Bogarts. Uh, you have Devers, who you probably want to pay here in a few years. And it's one of those things where Mookie is eligible for arbitration. He just got awarded 20, I think it was like $27 million in arbitration or something. So you know that if that's where you're at, you're probably not going to be able to afford him or resign him, I guess you'd say. Uh, you probably won't resign him if you're trying to cut your payroll down. And so at this point, it's better to trade him and get something for him now instead of if he walks away next year and you don't get anything for him. So I guess that's the trade him now because we may not be in a, a situation to resign him. So we'll get something for him now. And by by moving a player like that, we can also get out from under David Price as well. So I guess that's the rationale. I just you just you don't trade an MVP type of player. I mean, you, you figure out how to make that work. And so that's where I guess I'd be critical of it is I just don't understand why you trade an MVP knowing you you will not get probably anything close to equal value back. But uh, it's one of those things where I guess we'll uh, I guess we'll see how it pans out and I guess we'll see see what happens. But it's definitely one of those things where I just you trade an MVP, you're not getting that value back. But if you're if you're going to lose him, you want to get something. And so I guess that's what you're up against. But the deal isn't even done. So what's going to happen with it now? The deal is not done, and that's also holding up another deal that the Dodgers need to make because they were trading Ross Stripling and Jock Peterson to the Angels to free up salary to take on bets and price. But because that deal is not official, because one of the prospects that the Red Sox are getting in that deal, uh, Bruzdar Gratterall, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, there was something in his medicals that the team doesn't like, so they're trying to renegotiate the trade. And because that trade is not official, then they can't make the Jock Peterson stripling trade for the Angels. Spring training is in a week, and here's a collection of guys across multiple teams that they don't know where they're supposed to report. And, and that's the, the issue here is because that's why the, and the MLB Players Association Executive Chief Tony Clark issued a statement ripping the holdoffs, ripping the holdup of the trade, saying that, in part, quote, the events of this last week have unfairly put several players' lives in a state of limbo. I mean, these are, these are big moves. Like, for example, Cody, you recently just moved back to Mississippi. Yes. Correct. Imagine if, in order for Delta State to hire you back, they needed to trade somebody else to this other school, but then they called you back and said, well, uh, the guy we're getting back, we're not so sure, so you might be moving to Mississippi, you might not. You know, like, moving is... Moving is a big thing, and if and if you were planning to move to a different state and you didn't know if it was going to happen or not, that, that throws everything into limbo. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but it's one of those things where you don't, like, I get where the players, I get where the players association is coming from, but the teams, re, the teams review the medicals and, and it's, 
it's not really it's not really necessarily the team's fault because they get the the physicals and things those are are made available to them as they're you know as they're figuring out the deal so it's not like they're able to do a bunch of that stuff ahead of time I don't feel like so that's kind of where you get caught in limbo I totally understand it. it's a it's a crappy place to be but and I may be wrong about the process but you know it's not like Boston has wide-ranging information available before this even happens about, you know, Gratterall's medicals. And so that becomes available when they get to do an evaluation and they get more information. So I, I, I totally understand where the Players Association is coming from, but it's one of those things where it's just an imperfect process because it's not really something you can do a long ways ahead of time to kind of prevent some of this. Well, the ownership group did make a lot of questionable moves as they were happening. Like the David Price contract. At the time of that contract, he was the third highest paid player in all of baseball. And the Red Sox were offering him $51 million more than his second highest offer, which was a terrible misread of the room because before that contract, David Price was a guy who didn't want to pitch in Boston. He was miserable. He was picking fights with everybody, especially Dennis Eckersley. This was a guy that didn't want to be there. They gave Evaldi that contract, and on top of that, they're buying up the land around Fenway Park to the point where the city of Boston had to step in and say, hey, why don't you guys settle down a little bit? And now they need to shed salary by trading bets, price, and cash for really nothing. They're getting Alex Verdugo, who may or may not be an everyday position player and then the Gratterall his medicals are holding everything up and scouting reports have his weight at around 260 plus pounds he's 21 years old and has had multiple arm issues if that is the best you're gonna get for someone like a Mookie Betts why not just hold off until the deadline and some team that thinks that they're just a piece away is going to give you I mean pun somewhat intended give you the farm to make a run at a world series with Mookie Betts. No, that's a great point. And it's going to be going to be interesting to watch how this plays out because if they can't negotiate then, or they can't renegotiate, then each of these kind of deals are off and maybe Boston decides to do that. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. At the end of the day, come next week when spring training is official, do you think this deal gets done or are the Gratterall medicals enough to just sort of kill the deal and then everybody just goes back? Uh, I, I think I think Boston is motivated uh, to make it happen, so I do think it does get done. But there's some uh, a lot of these reports making it seem like uh, there's a pretty good chance that it, you know they end up uh, just putting the kibosh on it and and you know starting from scratch. But I, I do think ultimately it it does get done. I think it'll ultimately get done, too. This reminds me of, remember the Kyrie Irving to Boston trade where there was like that 36-hour window where Isaiah Thomas's medicals might kill the deal? But the deal wound up happening, and it all worked out, but it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Uh, moving on to the NBA trade deadline, uh, we've had some teams that made moves and some teams that stayed put, and one of the teams that stayed put was the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, they thought that maybe they could add one more piece around that around that core. They were in the running for Marcus Morris, but lost out to the Los Angeles Clippers. Are you surprised that the Lakers 
ended up not making any moves? Uh, I'm not really surprised. I think they like where the roster is at. They're playing ridiculously well right now. I also think that they're going to be they're going to be players in the buyout market. They're going to be players in, you know, Darren Collison hasn't made a decision on coming back yet. I think the Lakers uh, make a lot of sense there. I think both LA teams will be pursuing him, but I do think that it makes sense to me that they didn't jump in. There's, there's, there wasn't this one big move or or a couple of surefire moves that they could make. I, I don't think they decided that, Hey, we like where we're at. We can probably get a guy like Darren Collison, uh, him coming out of retirement as a free agent. We might be able to land another guy on the buyout market, and then we'll be set. But I, I think they like where they're at with LeBron. They like where they're at with Anthony Davis. And you know, maybe one other move, if, if Collison works out or they're able to add another veteran, they're, they're probably you know in even better shape than they are right now, which is still pretty good right now. So it, it's maybe a little surprising but at the same time the way they've played it makes sense that they're going to say hey we're going to stand pat we will make a run at collison we'll try to try to find a guy on the buyout market and and we'll just play it out because we think we have a good team well one person that did not like where he was cody was andre iguodala uh iguodala was traded to the memphis grizzlies refused to report didn't even travel to memphis uh dylan brooks and john morant took shots on him on twitter uh saying that you know we want a guy who's actually going to be here and i can't wait till we play you to show you what memphis is really about he ended up getting traded to the miami heat for a package centering around justice winslow winslow has only played 11 games this year and iguodala promptly was given a two-year 30 million dollar extension to go to miami i understand why uh miami made this like maybe this is the one year that you know, the East is kind of up for grabs as sort of Milwaukee and everybody else. Maybe we have a deep run with Iguodala and we reload in 2020. But for Memphis, this is great. You took you took a guy that didn't want to be there and you flipped him for Justice Winslow and a, and a couple others. This is one of the situations where it looks like everybody got what they wanted. Yeah, no, this is an interesting trade for me because Miami's an interesting trade for me because, or an interesting team. I don't think that they are seven game series against Philly, against the Bucks. I don't think they win. Everyone else in the East, I think it's pretty competitive and they're right there. And so Miami said, look, we think we're pretty close. We've got Jimmy Butler. We've got all these, we've got Bam Adebayo. We've got Tyler Hero. All these ancillary pieces are playing really well really well right now and fitting together nicely. We have a guy in Justice Winslow who played well early in the year. I think he got hurt and then he just kind of fallen out of the rotation because Miami had kind of figured it out without him. And so you have this young guy who can, you know, play kind of a point forward role and he has a little bit of trade value. So you go get Andre Godala, who is a guy who is going to help Miami defensively and he helps that Miami team that's pretty young in a lot of key spots in terms of playoff experience and that sort of thing. You get a guy in Jay Crowder who is a three, you know, a guy that can shoot the three, stretch the floor a little bit. He's a tough guy. He's been around the league a long time. And you also get Solomon Hill, which is, which is a valuable expiring contract. You send Justice Winslow to Memphis, you send James Johnson to Memphis, and then you send Dion Waiters contract to Memphis so basically, you send waiters out, you bring in Iguodala, 
you re-up Iguodala and still save, I think, a couple million a year on what Waiters was making. So I do agree with you. I think this is a deal that helps both teams. Uh, You know, Evan, we heard maybe Oklahoma City was going to get in on this deal and Miami was trying to get Danilo, uh, Danilo Gallinari. They could not, I don't think, work out an extension, so that fell apart. But at the same time, I still think both of these teams got better. And it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, if at all, this pushes Miami any further up the Eastern Conference, uh, up the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, update on that trade: uh, It is reported that the Memphis Grizzlies will not be keeping Deion Waiters. A buyout or an outright wave will be in in his near future. Memphis will not be hanging on to Deion Waiters. But let's look at the Memphis side of things. This is a team that. Going into the lottery, unless it landed in the top four, that pick was going to Boston. They they didn't win the lottery outright, but they were the biggest winners in the lottery because if they didn't get that number two pick with John Morant, this is a franchise that traded away Marcus Gasol. They were about to trade away Conley. Boston would have had their first round pick that year. And th- this was a team that was really staring down the barrel of well, we've got nothing to work with here, but they got John Morant, Jaron Jackson. They're sitting in the eight seed right now. This this has been an an impressive season for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, it has. And Winslow is a nice add, a guy that can handle the ball, uh, which which is helpful for Memphis. Like I said, a, a bigger guy can play kind of a point forward type of role. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a good add for Memphis. They're playing well right now. You add Winslow, a guy who can contribute and play. You can you can just take on the waiter's money, cut him, you know, and then what wave him or buy him out, whatever it ends up being. And then, you know, you you don't have to worry about adding him to the chemistry of your locker room and you get out from under him and you add a guy like Winslow and you just keep uh, you keep the, the rebuild moving in the right direction. Inter- probably one of my favorite Justice Winslow related nuggets was during the draft, Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics really wanted Justice Winslow. They wanted him so much that they called the Charlotte Hornets and offered the Brooklyn picks that ended up being Brown and Tatum to get him. And you know what Michael Jordan and the Charlotte Hornets did instead, Cody? Oh, uh, what did they do? They said, no thanks, we're going to take Frank Kaminsky instead. And there you go. They could have That's had, why they're the Hornets. They could have had the Brooklyn picks that wound up being... Brown and Tatum, they wanted him so badly, Justice Winslow, they were prepared to offer Charlotte four first-round picks. And they said, "Now nah, we're going to take Frank Kaminsky, we're good. And that could have blown up, like, the Boston rebuild, where they could have been in a wasteland of their own if that deal went through and Charlotte signed off on it. Uh, another player that was traded was Andre Drummond. The One of, if not the longest-tenured Detroit Pistons was traded for Brandon Knight, who... I forgot was still in the league. Uh, Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a 2023 second-round pick. Uh, Cody, while everyone else is going small ball to the point where the Houston Rockets were playing 6'6 P.J. Tucker at center, it seems like Cleveland is just collecting all the big guys. How are you going to play Drummond, Love, and Tristan Thompson at the same time? Well, and this was interesting for me too, Evan, because, I mean, this was just a straight like salary dump by the Pistons because that type of return is 
nothing for an all-star center. But, you know, you look at what Drummond does, and he doesn't stretch the floor. He doesn't have that versatility. He's one of the game's best rebounders and one of the best in the, you know, in the last decade. But he's not a guy that really, really fits how the game is played right now. And, And so Detroit saw that. They saw the, you know, the, the, almost 29 million that he's making next year. And they were like, look, let's get out from under this. So they just basically shipped him out for nothing. I mean, they got a second round pick Knight and Henson, but I don't think any of us would argue that this is just basically a, a salary dump and Cleveland took him on. So I don't know if Cleveland has plans to, to play him alongside some of those guys are one or a couple of those other guys going to be on the move? Be interesting to see what Cleveland does because I, I like the way Drummond plays. It's just you point out you already have, especially Thompson, a guy that kind of plays that way. So I don't know what Cleveland's planning to do there. I guess time will tell us what what they're up to. There was there were rumors that they were going to buy out Tristan Thompson, but they squashed those rumors pretty quick. Uh, Kevin Love, I'm surprised he wasn't traded because. You know, in the beginning of the year, that one, I can't, who, do you remember who they were playing when he had, like, that very public outburst in the middle of a game? Uh, I remember the outburst. I don't remember who they were playing. Uh, he wound up not getting traded uh, when, for the last, like, five or six years, we've been writing the Kevin Love gets traded article, really ever since LeBron was there. You know, it, it didn't happen, and there were rumors that they could buy out Tristan Thompson. Those rumors were denied. Uh, another player that was traded was... And, oh boy, in, like, the last few years of, like, guys that I thought were going to be something in the draft that I miffed, uh, that I've whiffed on real bad was uh, Jabari Parker, who is now on his fifth team in three years. Uh, he was traded to the Orlando Hawks for Dwayne Dedman, for Dwayne Dedman, and that means that Dedman goes back to the Atlanta Hawks. Jabari Parker is now a Sacramento King. He has fallen a long way since being the number two overall picks a few years back. No, he really has. And he's a talented guy that can score the basketball, but he he doesn't do as much outside of that. And and his defense, I think, is lacking for for a guy that plays uh, the way that he does. And so it's, you know, there's just I, I don't know what kind of value there is with a guy that can, you know, that can get you 18 to 20. But if, if he's not contributing defensively, that's what it takes to win in the playoffs. That's ultimately how you have to build your team is you have to have a strong defensive team. And that's not the strength of Jabari Parker. And so Atlanta's able to get out from under Parker. They move Alex Len. They bring in Deadman. He's a guy that can stretch the floor, and then he'll play backup center behind Clint Capella. And so I think it's a pretty good deal. You bring him back to Atlanta, send out a couple second, uh, you get a couple of second rounders, and then you send out uh, Jabari Parker and Len. I think that's a pretty good deal because the Parker deal that they signed him to, I think, was short term anyway, or that he was signed to before getting. Uh, before going there was short term anyway. So you send out that money and you're able to bring in a backup center who's familiar with what you're doing, can stretch the floor. So I did like that move by Atlanta to get him back. You also get a couple of second round picks, which are valuable to trade, you know, in future deals because those help round out deals and, and that sort of thing moving forward. So I did like that ad by Atlanta. Well, Jabari Parker once famously said that they don't pay him to play defense. So it, it, it works out. Uh, which trade do you want to cover last? Do you want to cover the D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins uh, swap, or do you want to get into the monster four-team, 12-player trade that was the biggest in the last 20 years? 
Yeah, let's let's dive into the twelve player trade. Let's do it. This was the largest trade in the NBA since September of two thousand. That was the famed Patrick Ewing to the Seattle SuperSonics trade. Four teams, twelve players. Okay, let's see if you can follow here. This deal involved Minnesota, Denver, Atlanta, and Houston. Minnesota got Evan Turner from Atlanta and Jared Vanderbilt from Denver. Denver got Shabazz Napier, Kiera Bates-Jopp, Noah Vonley, and Gerald Green. Atlanta acquired Nene, who they immediately waived. Uh, Houston got Jordan Bell, who they immediately traded to the Memphis Grizzlies for Bruno Caboclo, who during his NBA draft telecast, Fran Fischella famously said he's two years away from being two years away. They also acquired... The Chandler Parsons contract, but Atlanta waived that deal, which means he is now a free agent. I am confused, and my head is spinning just trying to understand the terms of this deal. Also, Robert Covington was traded as well. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts here, and I'm trying to figure out who benefited here. Uh, I, I feel like Atlanta benefited because you got Clint Capella, and you can put him up there with john collins and you have that front court so trey young has something to work with but other than that i don't really see uh how anyone else really benefited from this deal yeah i definitely think that you know capella is the guy that atlanta gets he's a really good pick and roll type of center and when you have a guy like trey young those two guys are going to be those two guys are going to play really well together i also liked the fact that houston got robert covington but I also don't understand some of that because they are really going all in on the small ball. And also just I feel like Clint Capella is the perfect type of guy to play with a James Harden because you don't really have to do anything for him. It's just he's going to set screens and you're going to shoot and you just tell Clint Capella, hey, go get the rebound, go get the putback. And so Covington is kind of that guy, but he's more of a stretch the floor three and D type of guy. So I think you get better with Covington, but I I think Capella is a a good piece to have alongside of a guy like James Harden. So, you know, maybe they, maybe Houston just didn't want to, they didn't feel like they were getting the value of what they paid him. I'm not really sure because I I think Capella was a good fit for Houston. I think he's going to be a great fit in Atlanta with Trey Young. So I think Atlanta probably wins the deal there. Uh, but you know, Denver getting the first Denver, getting a first round pick, uh, I think definitely, definitely helps them as well. Uh, they didn't send out much, uh, you know, and you get a couple of guys back that you could then trade. Uh, I I think Denver I think Denver flipped, uh, Shabazz Napier to the wizards and got like Jordan McRae. Yes. Yes, they did. They, he can just flat out score. So that's a good ad that Denver ended up do ended up kind of flipping it into. So, you know, a lot of moving parts there. I, I just think Atlanta made out the best because you get a guy that's a perfect pick and roll type of player to play with Trey young. I think that's the, the team that did the best in this deal. Uh, the Houston Rockets, this is how all in they're going on small ball. Uh, they became the first team to play an entire game without using a player over six foot six since the New York Knicks did it on January 31st, 1963 against the Chicago Zephyrs. That is how yeah, they're lo- going all in. Yeah, they're going all in on this small ball, which is fine until you realize that 
Anthony Davis is just going to post up PJ Tucker like all day during the playoffs, which uh, I, I don't know how this is going to work. We'll, we'll save the, the biggest deal for last. And that was Andrew Wiggins, the former number one overall pick, was traded to the Golden State Warriors for D'Angelo Russell. Cody, this felt like a panic move of Carl Anthony Towns. He's not happy. He's made it known he's unhappy. He's put feelers around the league. And this just sort of seemed like a, a Hail Mary to keep Carl Anthony Towns happy because he'd wanted to play with D'Angelo Russell. Minnesota wanted him in the free agency uh, when free agency opened up and lost out to Golden State. This just kind of seems like a, a panic move to somehow keep uh, Towns happy in Minnesota. Uh, I agree with that, but but I think that I think that that works though. Like uh, like if you're like if you're Minnesota, you're doing everything you can to keep Carl Anthony Towns because he's that franchise cornerstone guy. So if he's not happy and bringing in a guy like Russell helps make him happy they also their games I think complement each other well so I do think that it makes sense from a basketball perspective and it makes sense from an off-court perspective there where you're trying to keep Carl Anthony Towns you also get out from under Wiggins money and you bring in a guy like D'Angelo Russell but you're also but you're able to move that Wiggins contract so you're giving up a couple you're giving up a couple of draft picks I think a 2021 first I think there's a top three protection on that. And then there's like a second round pick in 2022, maybe something like that. But I like the move for Minnesota. I think Russell was a guy that they'd been eyeing that they feel fits with Carl Anthony Towns. And so they went out and got him. It's an interesting move for Golden State. Uh, I, I think Golden State is going all in on the fact that, you know, with a guy like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, you know, they I think they're thinking adding Wiggins to that group is really going to push him to reach his potential, which we've seen at times. I mean, Wiggins, one of the, one of the best uh, down the stretch in a game. He can just take over. He has that skill set. Uh, I think Golden State is betting on some of their veterans bringing that out of him. And so I, I, I think it's uh I think it's a, a decent move for Golden State, but it, you do get, you know, I think a little bit, bit more expensive uh, with a guy like Wiggins. So it'll be interesting to see how it works out. I'm just, I'm, I'm very curious to see Andrew Wiggins once Golden State gets healthy and you add Wiggins to the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. We know Wiggins is going to be the guy right now uh, because they just, they just don't have anything. Uh, with Curry out, with Clay Thompson out, with Draymond Green, he's been in and out. He's been hurt as well. So I'm I'm curious to see Wiggins when he's added to that full complement of players. But I like the deal from both sides. Well, Minnesota had to do something because when Robert Covington was in that deal, Carl Anthony Towns was very unhappy, and he let and he let it known on Twitter when he was posting some pretty alarming memes on his timeline. So Minnesota made a flurry of moves to the deadline. They have eight new players on their roster. And here are the eight new players. D'Angelo Russell, James Johnson, Jacob Evans, Omari Spellman, Jared Vanderbilt, Evan Turner, Malik Bailey and Malik, Malik Beasley, excuse me. And Juan Hernan Gomez. That is eight new players at the deadline. That's, that's, that's half a team. 
Yeah, it's basically it's, hey, we got Russell, we got Towns. Those are our guys. We're building around these guys. Malik Beasley is a nice add from Denver, a, a, a solid guard that can come off the bench there. Turner's been around the league for a while. You know what you're getting from him. But yeah, it's uh, it's really a uh, hey, we're we got basically a whole new team, but we we've got a couple of guys that we think are the guys to build around. And so you you know you do what you can. You had one, you went out and got the other, and so you just you piece it together from there. So well, they'll they'll see what they got. But I really like the fact that they were able to bring in Malik Beasley. That's a really good add with those guys uh, as a guy that can come, that can come off the bench. So we'll. Uh, We'll see how it works out because they basically got a new roster. So we'll we'll see how that goes for the Timberwolves. I mean, the most you can have on an NBA roster is 15. They have over half the team is no longer there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how this is going to work because like, you're having to learn chemistry with a lot of people on the fly. and th- th- That's a lot. Um, the, the NBA trade deadline came and went, but there was some... There was some interest before the trade deadline because the New York Knicks decided they were going to fire Steve Mills, their president of basketball operations, 48 hours before the trade deadline, which just proves that the Knicks are going to nick. Oh, I mean, the, the Knicks are just the Knicks are the Knicks are a disaster and they just, you know, and and, and they they flipped. Um, didn't they? They flipped uh, Marcus Morris, I believe to the Clippers. Uh, he ended up going to LA. He was their leading scorer at 18 and a half. So 18 and a half points a game. So, you know, a guy that, a guy that has a lot of value for the way he's playing right now, but yeah, the Knicks are, the Knicks are the Knicks for a reason. The NBA all-star game is coming up. Uh, it's team LeBron versus team Giannis. And the all-star game will have a new format going on. It's not going to be the traditional, uh, all-star game where it's where it's just played like a regular basketball game. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new format, and uh, who picked the better roster, Team LeBron or Team Giannis? Uh, you know, I I do like the new format. I think it's interesting. I kind of like the fact that you'll have the individual games, basically, because you know, for like what the first three quarters, they'll they'll keep the they'll keep separate scores or whatever, and you'll have winners of, of basically those games. There'll be those quarters. Uh, you know, I'm playing for charity. I'm always a fan of that, so I'm looking forward to see how it works out uh, and see the response of it to see you know kind of how they kind of how they go from there. But um, as far as the two rosters, I, I like Team LeBron. I mean, you look at the starting, you look at the starters for Team LeBron: Anthony Davis, LeBron, Kawhi, James Harden, and Luka. Uh, Luka Doncic, really a big fan of that starting five. Giannis goes: uh, Giannis, Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, Kemba Walker, Trey Young. I, I like that group as well, but I just the team, the starters that LeBron has, I would, uh, I would take those guys. Now, when you look at the bench, I, I kind of like, I kind of like Giannis's bench a little bit better. Guys like Bam Adebayo, Rudy Gobert, Jimmy Butler, uh, Brandon Ingram as well. So it, it's good. It's gonna be, uh, you know, I like the starters for Team LeBron, but I, I kind of like uh, what Giannis has done with the bench. So I guess we'll, 
we'll uh, we'll wait and see what happens. But uh, I, looking at the rosters, I would probably take Team LeBron. I mean, I'm 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 all for a new format and trying something new in All Star games because I think we were all kind of burned out with like the All Star games ending in like 193 to 186, where like they were sco- <laughs> right. they were scoring almost 200 points a game and like nobody was playing defense. It's kind of like the Pro Bowl, like like before. I mean, I don't really know if there's a way you can save the Pro Bowl, but those Pro Bowl memes that went around where, like, guys were just, like, openly not interested in playing, like, where they would snap the ball and the offensive lineman would just stand up and the quarterback just got a free throw. I mean, I'm all for changing things up. Like, the NHL has kind of done it where they just have... They broke up the All-Star game into divisions and then they all play each other with... Yeah, they had, like, Pam from The Office as, like, a celebrity coach. Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm all for, like, doing off-the-wall crazy stuff to just see what happens. Um, I am not interested in the celebrity game, though. Like, I don't think you can make me interested in a a celebrity all-star game, though. I am really not interested in uh, watching Hannibal Burris pass the ball to Guy Fieri in a celebrity all-star game. Like... What what god have I punished to where I get to watch Guy Fieri and Chance the Rapper play basketball? Oh uh, no, okay, correction, Guy Fieri is an assistant coach, he's not playing, but but still, um this is uh, I'm I'm more interested in hearing about Guy Fieri's opinions on uh diners and drive-ins than uh than basketball. Like I who have I, who have I offended to where this is given to me? All right, the NBA season we are past the 50 game mark. The NBA standings the Milwaukee Bucks are far and away the best team, forty-four and seven. Uh, they have they are twenty-four and three at home. They've won nine out of their last ten. They have a seven-game lead over the second-place team in the East, the Toronto Raptors. I know this sounds crazy because they would have to go pretty much undefeated the rest of the game, but. Is the is the Warriors seventy three and nine in jeopardy? Uh, no, I don't believe that it's in jeopardy. Uh, they would basically have to go undefeated in the second half. The way they've played, uh, they could definitely maybe come close and challenge it. But no, I think you you might get into a situation late in the year where Giannis might sit a game or two. So no, I I don't think they'll challenge. Uh, too many. Uh, I say I say already seven losses. Like it's a lot. It's. It's not. It's an unbelievable record for the Bucks, but they would only be allowed to lose two games uh, the rest of the way to match it. I just uh, I don't see it happening. Do you see seventy? Do you think they could win seventy games? I like go seventy and twelve. That is much more realistic. They might get to that seventy number. They're definitely going to be challenging it. That's for sure. All right, rundown of the Eastern Conference standings. Milwaukee is sitting firmly at number one with a forty-four and seven record. The surprising Toronto Raptors have won 12 in a row. They are 37 and 14 at number two. And then it goes three, four, and five are are Boston at 35 and 15, Miami at 34 and 16, Indiana at 31 and 20, and then six, seven, and eight. Possibly the biggest, I wouldn't say disappointment, the most underwhelming team of the of the year. The Philadelphia 76ers are number six at 31 and 21. The Brooklyn Nets are 23 and 27, and your Orlando Magic are at number eight at 22 and 30. Through the first 50 plus games, who has been the biggest surprise and the and the biggest uh, disappointment uh, of the Eastern Conference? I would say, you know, I think disappointment. You'd have to say the 76ers, just because, you know, just because it's just been so lackluster for them. 
Uh, so I would say I think Philadelphia takes the uh, takes the cake there. But you know they're only they're only I think it's a half game out of fifth. They're only four games out of uh, I think maybe five games out of I think it's like five and a half games out of the third spot. So you know if Philadelphia is healthy, uh, I think they're one of the you know they're they're a team to beat in the East for sure. So they just need to focus on getting healthy, playing some better, better basketball. You know, I think Miami is, is one of the surprise teams just because I, I don't know if we saw, you know, we knew Bam Adebayo was going to take that step as the starting center, but the, the step he's taken has been humongous so much so that he's an all-star, you know, uh, guys like Duncan Robinson, Tyler hero. I, I think we knew they were going to be guys that would contribute but the way that they have contributed to this Miami Heat team and the way the Heat are playing, I would probably say they are the they are one of the surprise teams. I, you know, I don't think it's a surprise that Boston is where they're at. You know, adding a guy like Kimball Walker, uh, I think you could maybe say Toronto just because you lost a guy like Kawhi Leonard. But you, but when you look at their record without him last year, they still won like. I think 20 games in like 26 tries when they didn't have him. So, so you're not really surprised by that. So I'd probably say Miami is the team you're looking at going, wow, you know, they're, they're, they're the four seed right now. They're only two and a half back of Toronto for the number two seed. So I would say Miami is the most intriguing, the most surprising team uh, in the Eastern conference so far. Uh, the surprise for me, and it's a bad one, is the Philadelphia 76ers at number six. I picked them to have the best record in the East, and looking back at my early season predictions, they have not aged well, like, at all. Uh, the Toronto Raptors were 17-5 and in 22 games without Kawhi Leonard last year, and as soon as Kawhi left, it was like, okay, the Raptors, that was a nice story for a year, and now, like, and now they're going to fall back to earth and go back to being, like, the same old Raptors. But they've won 12 games in a row. They wore cartoonishly large scarves to a, to the game. Uh, Serge Ibaka and OG Ananobi had a nice, friendly dis, uh, disagreement about scarves, and then they hit the game winner. And, like, that, that's been the biggest surprise for me is just how well they've been able to hold up. And Nick Nurse has done an amazing job north of the border for Toronto. Uh, a team that I'm su- I'm surprised in a good way about is Milwaukee. Is like we knew that Milwaukee made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They won the first two games, and then it just, you know, Kawhi Leonard happened. And we were wondering how big of a deal is the loss of Malcolm Brogdon going to be uh, turns out they're just fine. Uh, they're 44 and seven best record in the league. Giannis is as close to unstoppable as it gets. This is a Milwaukee team that I don't see how in a seven game series against Giannis and that roster, how they've lost seven games all year. Who is going to beat them four times in two weeks over the summer? No, I mean, I think you make some good points there, but you know, when you get to the playoffs, it's seven game series, you know, you're keying on, you know, you can take Giannis away. I mean, I I think we, we were able to see teams do it. It's one of those deals where, you know, Milwaukee is a really great team. They've been great here in the regular season. I just, you could, you can, you can go all in on Giannis and you say, okay, you know, Drew Bledsoe, you know, uh, 
Chris Middleton, you know, go ahead and beat me. And those aren't guys that scare you. And so you can you can kind of take Giannis out of the game in the sense that you just say, okay, you know, we'll we'll let Giannis do his thing, whatever. You know, he's going to get his, but we're going to really focus on trying to put the clamps on him. And if somebody else beats us, great. In the playoffs last year, Milwaukee didn't have that guy. And so I'm interested, interested, interested to see if they can take that step this year because it's mostly basically the same roster, but you don't have Brogdon, a guy, a guy that can handle the basketball, a 50, 40, 90 guy. They've played really well without him, but you know it's all about success in the playoffs. The regular season's all well and good. I just don't know if Milwaukee has done enough to take that next step in the playoffs. I think that they have, I think this is their year. Uh, they they ran into just the Kawhi Leonard buzzsaw that like nobody was going to get through. And now that Kawhi Leonard's out of the East and they're probably going to have a Western, uh, Western, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, more than likely they're going to run into like a Miami or a Philadelphia, maybe a Boston, Toronto. I, I feel like this is Giannis's year that they break through and win the East. Uh, moving on to the West, the two LA teams occupy the top two spots. The Lakers are number one at 38 and 12. The Clippers are number two at 36 and 15, uh, 36 and 15. A half game behind them are the Denver Nuggets at 36 and 16. The Rockets are at number four, 33 and 18. Utah is a game behind them at 32 and 18. The surprising team outside of Memphis, the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City Thunder at number six at 31 and 20. Well, tied for six with the Dallas Mavericks at 31 and 20. And number eight is the Memphis Grizzlies at 26 and 25. But right behind them, the Portland Trailblazers and the red hot Damian Lillard are 24 and 28, two games out. Cody, what's been the bigger surprise in the Western Conference? Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunders sitting 11 games above 500 or the John Morant-led Memphis Grizzlies? That's a really good question. They're, they're pretty close in my mind because, you know, we just we, – we, we, we know Memphis has the young pieces. So I, I, would, I would say that the Grizzlies are the bigger surprise because they are so young. You know, the Thunder – Oklahoma City is kind of a hodgepodge of guys and, you know, you, you didn't know what you were going to have. But you have a guy like Gallinari, a proven NBA scorer, like a 20 – 21 22 point a night guy and you have a Chris Paul who's a proven Hall of Fame player so you so you know it was a hodgepodge of guys but you knew that you had a couple of guys like that to be able to lean on and so if if you got out to a, a good start or you you know maybe performed better than expected it might make sense but I, I think Memphis just because you know, John ja Morant, you know, Brendan Clark, you know, you just didn't know how some of these guys would react to their rookie seasons in the NBA. And their rookie seasons have been really, really good. And Memphis has done a nice job. Now they're losing, you know, they're losing a guy like Jay Crowder, I think, which hurts them a little bit. But I would definitely say Memphis just because the youth of that team to be in the eight spot right now, and to be there by two and a half games and to be, I think it's only four and a half behind Dallas and Oklahoma City, uh, I, I think the Grizzlies are the surprise story in the West, man. They've played really, really well. That's a good pick, but I'm going to go with the Oklahoma City Thunder because when they traded away Paul George and Russell Westbrook, the narrative was this is a 
total teardown for Oklahoma City. They're going to start over. Like, like they thought that Oklahoma City, like Chris Paul was going to be joining a dead-in-the-water rebuilding franchise. Like When they traded for Chris Paul, they immediately said, well, okay, how long is it going to take before they flip Chris Paul? And it looks like they, they've got a young group they've got a young group of players uh their their shooting guard their two guards shea gilgis alexander a few nights ago against the cleveland cavaliers had 23 went 23 and 10 this is they have building blocks to work with i mean they might have a huge decision coming up with steven adams but when you look at this roster it's a lot of young it's a lot of young pieces outside of the the veterans of gallinari chris paul you know darius Baisley. i mean darius Baisley's only 19 years old he, he doesn't turn 20 until june you still got terrence ferguson who's in who's in his early 20s uh you know this is a team that when that deal happened like people were forecasting oklahoma city total teardown like if they win if they win 30 games it's a miracle and here they are 11 games above 500 with chris paul and a really a bunch and a mix of guys and they found a way to make it work and I, I don't know how else to describe like this season for Oklahoma City because Cody you remember reading those uh those early season reports where it's like my god like Oklahoma City like they're starting from scratch like we have no idea what this team's going to look like and here they are with uh, a a good mix of young guys like Barry and Gilgis Alexander and then they've got Gallinari and Paul and they're firmly in the Western Conference playoff picture. Yeah, absolutely and a guy that and a guy like Gallinari who has a lot of trade value because of what he brings. And so you can, you can move that guy potentially down the road if you can get the right offer. So, yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a great pick. Uh, I, that team has been really fun to watch. Shea Gilgis Alexander has been really, really fun to watch him really come into his own in the NBA. Uh, you know, it's hard to argue with picking either one of those as kind of the surprise story, but the fact that they're 11 games over 500 and they traded away Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and we just thought, okay, you know, it's it's rebuild, it's over for OKC. They very well could find themselves in the playoffs, you know, and still having all of those draft picks in years to come. Here's one stat for context for just how surprising this Oklahoma City se- this OKC season is. The, do you know what their the regular season started? I'm gonna. Okay, take a guess. What was their Vegas over-under win total on opening day? For OKC? Yes. 30. 32 and a half. They're at 31 wins right now. Wow. They were projected to go 32 at best, 32 and 50. They're 31 and 20 right now. All of all of the previews have this team going, you know, 29 and 53. Or, you know, 31 and 51. Like, if they won... Like a lot of these previews were like, if these guys win 35 games, it's a miracle. And here they are at 31 and 20 with a collection of guys that on paper, like you have Chris Paul playing with Darius Baisley and Shea Gilgis Alexander. How's this going to work? And Billy Donovan has found a way to make it work. I mean, he's not going to win because that's not how like the award works, but Billy Donovan for coach of the year. Uh, He should, you're exactly right. He should be there. And I agree. He, he probably won't win it, but you know it's like uh, it's like um, oh my gosh, what's the Buffalo Bills coach's name? McDermott. You know, I thought you know I, I get that the Ravens had a great year and Lamar Jackson and they were a really good team, 
But, you know, I thought the job that McDermott did in Buffalo was was really, really deserving of Coach of the Year stuff. And it's the exact same thing uh, with the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, what he has done, you know, like you said, their, their over-under was projected, you know, 32, 31, 32, 33 wins. And, you know, this team's going to be, you know, they're threatening to go, you know, to be better than 500 after being projected to win 30 games. I mean, the job that he's done is is fantastic this year for the Thunder. On the flip side of things, uh, a disappointment is, well, somewhat of a disappointment. The San Antonio Spurs are 22-29. and 29. They are four games out of the number eight spot right now. You know, you, knew, you knew sooner or later, like, this San Antonio run was going to end. Uh, but you're looking at, you've, you've got DeRozan and Aldridge. Aldridge is on, like, he's, age, he's on his age 35 season. Uh, there were whispers that he might have been available at the deadline. I feel, and I, I feel like when we play this back in April, that I, once again, it's not going to age well and I'm going to look like an idiot, but I feel like this is the year that the San Antonio playoff run comes to an end and they're going to have to make a harsh decision on it. Does Popovich have to just, you know, strip the roster to the bones and start? Off? Yeah, for sure. You know, I thought that I think I, I predicted uh, earlier in the year that, you know, at the start of this year, I think I was, I was out on the Spurs. You know, I said this was the year that they wouldn't make the playoffs. And, you know, I hate to bet against Greg Popovich and the job that he does, but you know, they're, they're at the point where they, they probably need to, you know, strip it down and, you know, see if you can move on from Aldridge. Great player, but he's, he's getting older, as you mentioned at 35 DeRozan uh, getting to be, you know, still, still a viable NBA player. But again, uh, a guy that, you know, probably not, you know, he's not in your future plan, future plans in terms of long-term option for the Spurs with where they're probably going to be. And so, you know, you're probably looking at stripping this thing down, trying to flip some of those guys for some picks uh, and, and just, uh, I guess, bottoming out for, for lack of a better, for lack of a better term and just figuring out, you know, what the next moves are trying to get some picks and move uh, in a new direction because, you know, you probably, you know, you're still in contention. You might be able to, you know, make a run and, and make the playoffs, but it's getting to the point where it's, uh, it's rebuild time in San Antonio. It appears, it appears to be headed that way. Like if you're San Antonio, just strip it down, build around DeJounte Murray and let's just see, let's just see what we've got. I mean, they, they, DeJounte Murray you know he's 23. Like if I look at like the roster, he's the one on the team that currently has the most upside. Like if I were to go top to bottom, who on the San Antonio roster who has the brightest future? I would have to pick him. But looking at the San Antonio roster, it's a lot of aging guys. You know, Patty Mills. Patty Mills is over the age of 30. You've got Rudy Gay who's still playing. Uh, apparently Trey Lyles is still a thing. He he's on like the San Antonio Spurs roster. I had no idea Trey Lyles was still a thing. I, I don't really know how this gets better if San Antonio just decides that we're gonna run it back next year. They've got yeah. one, two, three, four, five they have six players on their roster that are in their tenth NBA season or longer. Well no, right. I mean I guess they could do that. They'd just be delaying the inevitable. So, you know, I I me personally I think it's time to try and move off a couple of those guys, see if you can't get some draft assets, see if you can't get a lottery pick this year or, you know, a mid lottery pick this year. And then, uh, 
you know, continue to move in that direction. Uh, it, it's definitely time with where that roster is at. Like As I mentioned, they have six players currently on the roster that are in their 10th NBA season or longer. They are DeMar DeRozan and Patty, DeMar DeRozan, Patty Mills, and Damari Carroll are in their 10th season. Marco Bellinelli is in his 12th, and then Gay and Aldrich are each in their 13th NBA season. Like This is a team that when you look at where they are roster-wise, I mean, they have a lot of aging guys, so if they just decide in 2020-21 that like, we need to get some new blood and start over, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe Greg Popovich doesn't even stick around. Would Greg Popovich want to be part of a San Antonio teardown, teardown rebuild? Like I, I don't think he would be. Yeah, I think he's coming to the coming to the end of his NBA coaching career. So you know they've got a lot of uh, they've got a lot of hard decisions ahead because they're getting to the point where it's time to uh, time to try and rebuild and reload in San Antonio and to be able to get themselves back to the dynasty that they were. Uh, before we go, I'm going to ask you this simple question: When the 2020-2021 season starts. Is Greg Popovich still head coach of the San Antonio Spurs? Yes or no? Oh, man. I say yes for at least one more year, and then after that he's done. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I think this uh, I think this is it. Uh, is it going to – Is uh, how do you think it's going to go? Retirement? Stepping down? Uh, do, I, I feel like he's 71 years old. He just turned 71. He's earned the right to just say, I'm, I'm done, and just walk out on his own terms and retire. I think he retires, and I think that uh, we get uh, Becky Hammond as the first uh, first women NBA first woman NBA coach head coach. That is all right. I think that Greg Popovich is going to be around for at least one more year, and then at the end of the 2020-2021 season, he steps down. Cody's prediction is by the start of next season, he is no longer the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Cody, we've had a we've had a good 50 games in the NBA season so far. We got to see a little taste of Zion, uh, which the, that New Orleans fan base is suddenly re-energized. I think it might be too little too late for them to make the playoffs, but what are your initial thoughts on Zion? Oh, I mean, I think we're seeing exactly what we saw in Summer League with him and the type of player that he can become uh, and the type of player that he is. It's just a matter of can he be healthy and can he be on the floor for, you know, 80 uh, for, for 75, uh, 80, 82 games? I mean, you know, I, you know, you saw it in the first game. You saw it in the games after. I mean, this guy is a is an absurd talent at his size. What he can do uh, shooting the ball, getting to the basket, finishing in traffic. He's a once in a generation talent. It's just going to be, can he stay healthy? And so that's what we're going to be. Uh, that's what we're going to be watching over the course of his career. That is what we're going to be watching over the course of his career. And I think that is a good place for us to wrap up. Cody Clark, uh, congratulations on uh, going back to the Delta State University uh, campus to be their top broadcaster. I'm sure that is a Wonderful experience, uh, experience for you getting to go back to Delta State in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. We a uh, baseball game was a uh, walk off win for uh, for us. So it's been uh, it's been fun, and I'm I'm glad to be back. So uh, so thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been it's been fun. All right. Well, I think that is where we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you to Tony Huynh for our podcast artwork, and uh, next week on the from the booth podcast uh, we will get back to 
I, you know, the NFL Combine's coming up. Uh, is it too early for us to uh, start looking at the 2020 NFL Draft? <laughs> of course not. All right, well, the NFL Combine is coming up, so coming into next week, we will look at the 2020 NFL Draft and look a little bit at free agency because football season never ends. Also, don't forget, Cody, the XFL starts tomorrow afternoon on Fox. One yes, o'clock, it does. One o'clock, one o'clock Central, the Seattle Dragons are in action against the D.C. Defenders, I believe. Uh, uh, Cardale Jones will be starting for the D.C. Defenders, former Ohio State Buckeye. So for Cody Clark, I'm Evan Eichen saying so long, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>